Turn your Bibles with me to uh, Psalm 46. We'll look at uh, this passage together this morning. It reminded me as I was, I was looking at it, uh, some of the languages I've had to deal with in, in my, uh, my day. But uh, there's one a lot of people don't know that I know. You know, you have to take Greek and Hebrew and English and Spanish and all those kind of things going through school the way I had to. But um, every December and January for the last 50 years has included duck hunting for me. And so that means I'm, I have been immersed into duck culture. And I have learned how to translate duck. A lot of people don't know how to translate duck. Of course, ducks don't use words. They use quacks. But if you hang around with ducks long enough, you can pretty much figure out what they're, what they're saying. And one of the first uh, translations I did uh, in duck, as, as I was learning the duck hunt with my dad, I remembered uh, many times uh, walking up upon ducks and spooking them, and they saw me long before I saw them. And when they... Uh, which is not the way it's supposed to work, obviously. But so when they saw me and they took off, and every time they took off, they had the same message. It was quack, 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 quack. It's just real short, staccato, increasing in tone. And I, I, every time I would have this experience, same message. Quack, 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 quack. I said, they're, they're saying something here. I figured it out. It, it means watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. They're telling all of their buddies, there's an intruder, he's got a gun, watch out, you know, and they leave. Uh, there were other messages, I, sometimes I got better at, at this and I would sneak up on them. Sometimes I'd sneak up and I'd see one duck out there all by himself and nothing else seems to be going around and just out of the blue, quiet, quiet, quiet. And after doing that, you know, about a hundred times, quack, 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 quack. What's this guy saying? He's saying, I am so happy. He was just in this discontented space. And other ducks would hear that message and say, he's having so much fun over there, they would come. And so you wanted to know this message. Another one that uh, you pick up on is, is this uh, low kind of growl. <laughs> And when you hear a duck give you that message, he's usually feeding. It's, the duck hunters know it as the feeding call. And it's, it's like he's got his, his nose or his bill down in the water, and he's pulled up some great vegetation. It's like, whoa, this is good, this is good, this is good. You know, you just learn these things. But there was one duck expression I never could, to, could get. I, I heard it multiple times, and I, I was trying to, to figure it out until, and it wasn't until I got to the Ross Barnett Wildlife Reservoir and Refuge, just about an hour south of Yazoo, Mississippi, home of Jerry Clower, those of you who know him, and I was hunting in this place, and it was, it was right on the mighty Pearl River, and they've got this hundreds of acres wildlife refuge, and they've got signs all around the refuge. It's dirt road for the most part. You can drive down some of the roads, and you keep seeing these signs every 50 feet. It says wildlife refuge. And on the sign, it tells you the penalty for crossing the barrier. If you enter 
uh, the wildlife refuge. You will be fined. You will be thrown into jail, and your vehicle will be confiscated. You know, it's just, you look at that sign. I forget how they said all that, but it's like a little duck is not worth that. So you stayed out. You even, and it said to, to uh, naturalists, it says, if you want to take pictures in here, you must get written permission ahead of time. Nobody could go in this place. And it was there on that dirt road that ducks would fly over at about 65 yards. And I noticed this consistently, and they would make, you know, start quacking this quack I couldn't figure out. They would get right to the barrier uh, of this wildlife refuge, and then they would drop down. Now, 65 yards is beyond most the, the amount, the distance anybody can shoot. So they're safe at 65 yards. They come to this barrier, and then they drop down 30, 20, you know, light in. It's like, but you can't go over there and shoot. And as they're, they're doing this little maneuver, it's just quack, 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 quack. I said, what is that? And it you know, I just, I just realized what it was one day. I said, I know what they're saying. Turned to my buddy, you know what they're saying? I said, no, what are they saying? Nana, nana, boo, boo. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. You know, that's what they're saying. We are protected. We have a refuge. You can't get us here. Ha, and as I thought about that, I said, we all need that kind of experience. Some place when we feel like we're distressed, we're depressed, we feel like the world is shooting us down, some place we can go where we are secure, nobody's going to intrude, nobody's going to bother us, we can rest and be at peace. And that's Psalm 46. It says, verse 1, our God is that refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And notice the repeat, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. It repeats again in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So it's the refrain there three times, God is strong. He's our strength. He's our stronghold, our refuge, and he's our God, and he's with us. This is God's declaration to, to you and me. I am the God of what you need. I'm the God of your, your need for peace and rest and strength. I'm the deity for the dysfunctional and depressed I'm the Savior for the sick and the sorrowful. I'm the warrior for the weak and wounded and weary. I'm your refuge and your strength. I want you to you begin to, to feel this and see this and understand and be overwhelmed with the glorious God we share and have. It's our refuge and strength. We all need that from time to time. First, I want you to see he's personal, present help. Psalm 46, the first three verses. Let me read it again so you see the comparison between God and lamb. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling 
pride. There's a comparison. The comparison is land versus God. Land, it might at some point shake. There might be an earthquake, verse 2. Mountains might that you might think are, you know, just the most stable of commodities, and, and it just they, they slide into the heart of the sea. Or waters, you look at the, the ocean, you see it roar. I mean, think tsunami or something. It roars, foams, and destroys mountains and whatever else. We typically think of land as the most secure of things God's given us or blessed us with. We, we even lock our houses at, at, at night, you know. We turn the lock on our door, our home, our house. That's our castle, our fortress. We think we're secure. That's the most secure place we know. Uh, that's our world, or we get a place in the country, or we get a place in a gated community, or get a place in the city, wherever it is. It just, we get this place because we think this place is a secure place, a peaceful place, a, a place that we can call home and it will minister to us. Just the place by itself will. And God is saying, that's precisely my point. You think land will secure you, and typically it does. It, it, it blesses you and secures you from, from many, 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 many things. He says, but what happens in your secure fortress when it all falls apart? You know, we've seen that in our, our time here in America as well. We've seen fires like out in California, just destroy that secure place. We've seen earthquakes. We've seen tornadoes. We've seen storms. We've seen hurricanes. We've seen the mountains quake. We've seen them slip. We've seen things break up. We've seen destruction. God says, when that happens, then what? He says, I am your refuge and strength. I am your refuge and strength. Because when all of that happens... I don't move. I have not been shook. I, I have not been destroyed. I'm still strong. I'm still as strong as I ever was. The same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your stronghold, your strength, your refuge when everything else falls apart. Now, don't just get that. Get the third word. God is, what's that word? Our. That's pretty significant. Because out of all the gods that are in the world, he is our God. A, a very personal term. And we, we get how significant that term is. Um, suppose you were related to, to one of the World Series guys, you know, and uh, the Astros start knocking balls out of the park. And somebody said, who was that? Who was that? And you're able to say, uh, uh, <clears throat> that's our boy. You see, you, you start to boast, that's my boy, or that's my man. Yeah, my man, you know, Knock, that's astronomical, my man. Same thing we do with others, you know, who's that good-looking lady? That's my wife, mm -hmm. yeah, you feel good about it. Who's that hunk, uh, my man? Who's that kid, our kid? And God says, I want you to get to the state where you, where you begin to boast and boast in the Lord. I am your God. Say, our God. That's our God. When everything else is being destroyed and, and falling apart, 
Who is that? Who is this strong one? Our God. We are the religion. We are the group that are privileged to have the God creator of all the earth as our personal refuge and strength. What a blessing. What a privilege. What a life. It's not hypothetical. This is real stuff. Um, Mountains have toppled. Our God has been the same yesterday, today, and forever and always. Well, it goes on. Not only is he our personal present help, he's he's persistent. Verses 4, 5, and 6, he says, uses another illustration. He says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God's in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. You know, it's like whatever comes against God and his people, when God speaks, everybody else just like, they lose all spirit within them. They just melt away. It's like, there's no way I can go against this. God is too strong. And the illustration he uses is a city with a river inside the city. Now, ancient cities always sought to locate themselves beside a river or over a river if they didn't have, depending on where it was, you know, like if it's a mountain or something, they didn't have the ability to dig a well. But you wanted water inside the city. Because if if people come against you and they surround the city and they hem you in, you're going to die in there if you don't have water. So one of the first tactics, can we cut off the water supply so we can starve them out? They'll have to come out and we'll get them. And God is using that illustration. He says, I'm like the river that's in the midst of the city. That when everything comes around you, I'm just constantly nourishing you and feeding you. And when people see that I'm your God, I'm your refuge and strength, and I'm constantly nourishing you, it's like they give up. It's a no-win. They can't handle it. It's the message Jesus had in John 7. I shared this with you a few weeks back. Um, one of Jesus' first sermons, um, he, he gets up on one of the feast days, and, and, he, and he gives basically that, that message. It's John 7, 37 and 38. says, Now on the last, last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Like, out of you. I will be in you, and out of you will constantly flow rivers. You will be nourished by me. Uh, I'm not just going to be your God personally. I'm going to be with you in such a persistent way. You're just constantly nourished. You're constantly refreshed by me, um, uh, that's God's tremendous grace that he, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, he is persistently with us. Now, there's been, you all have times where you need this. There was this time in 1989, no, excuse me, 1979, second Tuesday of October, 19. 79, I was admitted to Greenville Hospital with a collapsed lung. 
And I was in that hospital for three weeks as a team of specialists trying to figure out what in the world happened and why did my lung collapse, what disease did I have that would make this happen, and how could they fix it. And uh, I had tubes out of both arms in my chest, two or three different places. And with that situation, you can't roll over. And I'm trying to figure out why in the world God is putting me through this and I'm repenting of everything I can repent of, you know, and trying to face everything I can face. And there's, there were times in, in that hospital room, I still remember today, where I would start just to, to weep before the Lord and the tears as you're laying back. I didn't have anybody to take care of that. They would run down and fill up my ears. That's a, I share that. Just, that's a place of desperation where you're saying, God, I, where are you? I need you. I need you in me. I need you here now. Interesting enough, I thought I needed God then. That was a painful time. But exactly 10 years later, the second Tuesday in October, 1989 I was back in the hospital this time it wasn't for me it was for my three-year-old son who had been in a propane gas explosion and had third-degree burns on his face and he's under the oxygen tent and you can't touch or get in there with him and and you're crying like you've never cried before and you cry out to God and say God if you were with me then, I need you more now. Where are you? And God spoke to me. He spoke to me the words of Isaiah 41.10. And if you know that verse, it says, Do not be afraid. I am your God. Do not anxiously look about you. I am with you, and I will strengthen you, and I will comfort you, and I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. You see the persistence, love, and care of our God? Do not be afraid. Much will come against you. I am with you. I am your God. I will comfort you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I am your refuge and your strength. What a glorious God we have, and we need to get into his presence in such a way that we're overwhelmed by his goodness and his grace and his persistence. And we begin to see his spirit like a river flow in and out of us. Glorious is our God. Third, see in this passage, verses 8, 9, 10, this powerful help. Not only is he with us, not only is he personal, present, he's, he's powerful. Verse 8, come, behold. That means just come and look. I want to show you something. And what he shows us, again, a third illustration, he wants to show us his power. Look, he says, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. So just, just look. Have you, have you thought about the things God has done in the earth? And he mentions just a few in verse 9. It's not an exhaustive list, obviously. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns 
the chariots with fire. So you just think, come, I want, I want to talk to you about the works of God. What I want to talk to you about is, who do you know who can stop an army? He says, God does that. God could literally stop an entire army. Everything they got going on, he can put it down immediately. That's what our God does. Then, as, so if you come and you see that with me, he says, so verse 10, the application, cease striving and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So there's no nation that's going to come against me that I can't just stop and put down. If you get that, that that's how powerful God is, that if all of America were to come against you, God says, I got that. I can take care of that. That's not a big deal. I can take care of them and North Korea and Russia and China all at the same time. He said, I got that. So, okay, if you're that powerful, what's the application? He says the application, verse 10, and some of you have the translation, be still and know that I'm God. When he tells you, he commands you to be still and know that I'm God, or my translation, when he commands you cease striving and know that I'm God, that is not a command for you to read your Bible. That is not a command for you to go find a quiet place and hang out with God. That is not a command for you to do devotions. All those things are good. But this is not where he's teaching it. If you take it that way, you didn't understand the illustration. The illustration is, I'm powerful and I got this. And because of that, it doesn't mean, well, well then I need to go read my Bible. No. What is he telling you to do? He's telling you to quit trying to do it yourself. Quit striving. Quit being frantic. Quit Quit all of your activity. Be still. I'll show it to you a different way. How many of you tried to change the clothes of a, of a little baby who's gotten to the stage that uh, they're, they're, they're starting to be grabbers? You know what I'm talking about? Somewhere between month five, six, seven, eight, depending on your kid, somewhere there. They're not just laying there while you're changing the clothes. All of a sudden... You know, everything's moving. They're in that grabbing stage. And if you've ever watched your mom and dad try to change those clothes, or grandparent, doesn't matter, you watch them change the clothes at some point when they get into this grabbing stage, especially, you know, Sunday morning, you're trying to get out quick. Hope you enjoyed getting out slow this morning. But you're trying to do that. If you'll just kind of sneak up behind them and listen. Sometimes, at some point, you will hear that parent say, Would you just be still? I got this. And that's what God is saying to us. So much of our lives are spent with us just trying to do things. And God in heaven says, Be still. I got this but i got to find this husband. i got to get a new job. i got to get out of debt. i got to fix the financial situation that I'm in, and I've got to handle my depression, and i got to fix my marriage, and I'm going like that, and God says, be still. i got this. When's the last time you gave something to God? Have you given God 
you have problems. Really? He said, I'm going to let go of this, God. It's yours. There's, a, there's an important place for responsibility. I'm not asking you to be irresponsible. irresponsible. But at the same time, there is a place for letting go and letting God. Do you trust God to find your husband and your wife? Do you trust God to deal with your temptations and sin? Do you trust God to direct you through the financial turmoil that you're in? Do you trust God with your schooling, with your job? with your conflicts, with your relationships. There's a time and a place in everything we do to let go and say, God, I need you. Because why? You're here. You're persistent. You're powerful. And you're my refuge. And you're my strength. We sometimes get so bent out of shape that we, we, we're really neglecting our God, who He is, and what He wants to do in our lives. Be that powerful, present help. Be still. Quit striving. Well, when I look for help, I'm, I'm wanting what God provides. Personal, persistent, powerful, present help. I gave you five kind of applications to think through. Uh, as I think, how could I apply this more? Number one, seek God daily, not just in the trying times. Wake up realizing, man, if I have a God like this, I need to be seeking Him earnestly, not just waiting for the desert times of life. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, I got so much to do today, I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. And I share that because what Luther's saying is, God really needs to be sought after. He needs to be intimate in my life. And everything, if I gave everything to God first in my morning, in my day, I could spend more of the day without striving and find that I'm secure in peace. Uh, second, reject the notion that God needs our help. God doesn't need our help. Nowhere does the Bible say God needs you. I mean, Preachers preach this. God needs you to be his hands and his feet and his ears and whatever. The Bible doesn't say that. Yes, we're vessels. Yes, we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for works. We need to do things, yes. But God doesn't need us to feed him. God doesn't need us to strengthen him. God doesn't need us to encourage him. God doesn't need anything for us. We need God in our lives. He doesn't need us in his life. We need to recognize the distinction and say, God, I need you. I'm not coming because I, I heard the preacher say, you need me to do something. I'm coming because I need something. God understands that. He says, I am your refuge and strength. We need to go to God realizing we need him. He doesn't need us. Number three, rejoice and give thanks that he's there when we do so. And he's personal, he's present, he's persistent, he's powerful. Remember, do not be afraid. I am your God. I am your stronghold. I am the one that keeps you from having to be anxious about everything. I will uphold you. I will take care of you. I just wish we could all get to the place where we're just overwhelmed at how glorious and gracious God is for us. Number four, abandon our fear. 
of whatever's before, behind, anywhere around us. We do not need to fear if God is our stronghold. And number five, reject, and I call it false security. We sometimes put security in things, circumstances, or people. Reject things, circumstances, and people as our security. God is our security. We need people and things and all of that, but not for security. For security, we need God. And we need to see Him as the refuge and strength He is. And that's some of the illustration here. He says, no matter how secure you think your financial life is, one illness wipes that out. One nuclear war wipes that out. Your house is gone. Your, your stuff is gone. Your job's gone. I mean, it's just so easy. So don't put your security in that stuff. God is our refuge and strength. And when God's our refuge and strength, it doesn't matter what happens today. I'm going to be okay. Because my security is not wiped out from under me. I am his both now and forever. What a glorious God we have. If you haven't, you don't know him, perhaps today you say, I need that God instead of my God. I need that God in my life. Ask him. Say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? Because I need a refuge and strength like you are. God loves transforming lives, making us his people. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is to have this day to just meditate on your word, your truth, your message to us. What a joy it is to have you as our refuge and our strength. Father, from the oldest to the youngest here, if there are any that just really don't know you, like you're pictured in Psalm 46, Father, enter their hearts through Christ. Transform them as they cry out to you, just as Jesus begs them to. If anyone's thirsty, let him come. Let him come and receive. Lord, we ask that you would remind us all each day, each morning, we have such a glorious refuge and strength that we can have a day of peace, a day of rest, a day of success because just because of who you are and your desire to be in us. So we thank you again, Lord. We give you praise for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.